0: For the News and Observer, I'm Danielle Battaglia, and I'll be telling you the top three things you need to know for the week of October 4th. I'm going to run through these fairly quickly this week because we actually have a special show for you. Um, But first, I'll start with the top three things. This week, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger said that they have reached an agreement on the budget, which we've been waiting on for I don't know how long now. Um, And so they are beginning budget negotiations with the governor this week, Um, redistricting hearings wrapped up the public redistricting hearings wrapped up on Thursday. And so we're going to see the House take up some redistricting meetings this coming week. And then um, there are some major bills like the energy bill that are still floating out um, in different committees. And we could see some action in the House and Senate on some of those bills. But for today's show, I have a special guest here. I have Brian Murphy, who is editor of The Insider. Welcome, Brian.
1: Thanks, Danielle. Thanks, Danielle. We we could maybe hear about marijuana as well.
0: Emergency powers might pop.
1: I mean, the budget negotiations obviously may wrap a lot of this stuff into it. So we'll, we'll see where all that goes.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to see the actual final budget maybe one day soon. But um, I've got Brian here to talk to us about uh, what happened a year ago, almost to the day. So a year ago on October 2nd, 2020, it was a very long night for Brian. Um, I think I sat with him for half of it, but not all of it. Can you kind of run down what happened that that week, that night?
1: Yeah, it was it was a crazy weekend, an eventful one in, in North Carolina politics history. It was a Friday night and, and Senator Tom Tillis uh, was in a tight uh, re-election campaign against uh, Cal Cunningham, the Democrat, and on that Friday night, Tillis and his campaign announced that he had tested positive for for COVID. This came on the heels of a white, ho- a big White House event for uh, the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. It was big news. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to remember now since we've had COVID for so long, but you know, people yeah. testing positive at that point was was a big deal. Uh, President Trump tested positive right around that same time you know, we still didn't know exactly what was happening with the with the virus. And so that was a huge, huge deal. Front page news type of stuff. Tillis with a month to go in the election test positive, had the ability probably to to shake up the race. uh, Because, you know, it it played into the narrative that even though Tillis did take the virus pretty seriously, wore masks, you know, urged others to wear masks, it, it, it played into the sense that Republicans weren't taking the virus very seriously. But that news did not stay in the top news for very long. And that's what made it, uh, you know, uh, to go from a newsy night into an unbelievable night. As soon as we wrapped up that story, minutes later, Cal Cunningham, his campaign confirmed to me that the the text messages that had been floating around that purported to be between Cunningham and and a mistress in Raleigh were in fact true. They they were in fact uh, his text messages and they were 100% legitimate. And obviously, that news, you know, pushed the COVID news uh, right off the right off the the top of the newspaper, right off the website, and the rest of the entire race became about Cunningham and these allegations of extramarital affairs. He took questions one time after that, and really wasn't able to campaign the way he wanted to or close the campaign the way he wanted to. And you know, the the big postscript to this is is obviously Cunningham lost um, lost the race in which he'd been favored to win, at least according to all the polls, and so. I think most people remember that sort of October 2nd as kind of the biggest turning point in the entire race. And
0: for our less nerdy, less political followers, remind us who Cal Cunningham is and
1: what he was running for. Sure, sure. Yeah, he was running against Senator Tillis in that 2020, uh, you know, Senate, US Senate race. He's a former state senator. Uh, He's a in the Army National Guard. You know, he's a, a Raleigh lawyer. I mean, he, you know, and and he'd been leading the race uh, in all of the polls. You know, we could question whether th- those polls were right. And, and I'm sure we'll get into whether or not it was the the affair that cost him the election. But uh, Cunningham was in great position uh, on October 2nd, particularly after Tillis had tested positive for COVID. Not because Tillis was, was, you know, incredibly sick or anything, but as I just mentioned, that it sort of played into this narrative of, of uh, the Republican Party not necessarily taking the virus seriously, even though As I said, you know, Tillis had taken it pretty seriously. If you remember correctly, you know, Trump had tested positive. Mike Lee had tested positive. There there was this big event at the White House. A couple months earlier, there had been a big event at the White House for Trump to accept the Republican nomination, which Tillis was caught at. um, Even though he'd been preaching wearing masks, he was caught taking off his mask, uh, you know, while sitting right next to lots of other people. So, you know, if, if you stop the news right after that, the, the thought was, wow, this COVID, us getting COVID story is going to be huge, huge news. Uh, within a few hours, uh, nobody was talking about that.
0: Anymore. Well, it was funny too, because I remember I was helping track down the COVID case and we had finally put that to bed. And um, somebody said, I'm about to log off. And you were like, actually, I have huge news. Don't log off yet. Um, so, and you knew about, the rumors of that affair ahead of time, right?
1: Right. Um, You know, one of the reasons that, uh, just to to stick with the Tillis COVID thing for one more second, one of the reasons it was a big deal is is Tillis had, they had just had a debate. Tillis and Cunningham had just had a debate. Tillis had taken a private jet down. um, That's right. After voting um, in DC, he had taken a private jet down to, to get to the debate. So they had to contact all the people that worked on that jet. They had to contact the Cunningham campaign. They had to contact the people at Spectrum who had put on the debate. Um, so you know, Tillis had been in contact with a lot of people. I ended up having to get tested because I had spoken to Tillis, you know, just a, a day or two before that.
0: Were you on a train with him or something?
1: Yeah, I was on a, one of the yeah. subway trains with him, um, and so it was a big deal. Um, that that uh, you know, notice that that Tillis had to provide the Cunningham campaign that he was going to announce that he had tested positive. Um, you know, I think played a role in the timing of the Cunningham campaign putting out their statement. Um, that
0: makes sense.
1: They had a little heads up, and I think that that gave them an opportunity to, to roll out this news. Yeah, the text messages between um, Cunningham and this woman who lives in California, but had spent some time in Raleigh, had had previously lived in Raleigh, um, had been reported. They've been reported by a, a right wing website called National File. Um, National File later in the in the in the campaign released a report about Mark Kelly that turned out to be 100% false. Mark Kelly's is a, a is a now a US senator from Arizona was a candidate at the time. And so I had seen them but I wasn't I wasn't sure like I, you know they were not um definitive enough to to run a story. So I had contacted the Cunningham campaign several times about it. Um I was doing my due diligence trying to track down this woman uh, that was that was mentioned in the text messages uh, you know we're trying to report out the story to make sure it's true um, and I got confirmation that Friday night from the Cunningham campaign that yes in fact the, those text messages were true
0: which is impressive I will say that they admitted to it
1: I, I have uh, questioned Cunningham and his campaign staff on why they thought it was a good idea to to admit to the text messages um, their their message to me has has always been, you know, that's the kind of, you know, we wanted to be honest. We wanted to be truthful. I, I, we we weren't going to lie and say, no, they're not, they're not true. And so that kind of put them in, in a bind. If you're going to say they're not true um, and they are true, you know, that that puts you in a bind. And if you just ignore them, I, I thought they could get away with ignoring. Now, mm-hmm. the election was a month away. I uh, no what I would consider a reputable organization, news organization had reported on the text messages um I think many reporters around the state, like me, knew about them, um knew they were out there, but but had no way, at least at that point of confirming that they were true. And, and we're not going to write a story about a, a story that big about text messages if we have no way to confirm that they're true. Um, we may we may have been able to get confirmation eventually. Um, some other reporters in the state probably may have been able to get confirmation as well. I mean, this story wasn't going away, but the question of why admit to it, is one that I think has, has hung out there for a long time.
0: And she was a politico as well, right?
1: She, yeah, she was a a public strategist or a PR. uh, Yeah. She was in public relations. Um, you know, it turned out that she was, she's married to someone in the army. Um, Cunningham faced, you know, some questions and investigation as to, cause he has a higher status in in the, in the U S reserves. Um, it, it became this, you know, a big story, and then and Cunningham wasn't able to go on the road and campaign the way he wanted to because he was going to face all these questions, and, and these questions allowed reporters like myself to ask, are there other women out there? We, we had heard other reports that this was not the only woman that he had had an affair with or um, had some infidelity with, uh, and you know, the Tills campaign I think did a really good job of playing that up. Um, you know, they re- they released an ad. Uh, with all of the reporters asking questions of Cunningham um, they, they hit Cunningham just day after day not necessarily on the affair but but being unwilling to speak about it publicly you know how can you trust the senator uh, Cunningham had made so much of his uh, campaign about his biography um, and, and serving in the military joining joining the military you know going to Afghanistan and Iraq um, had made so much of it about a personal biography that he really had nothing to run on in the end there when they were attacking his personal biography.
0: Yeah. And he also talked about being a family man too, right?
1: Right. He had, he has two, two children and, and a wife. Um, and yeah, certainly there was, uh, that, that was a large part of his campaign. Um, the, the big question is, did it cost him the, the seat? Would Cunningham have won? Um, I've spoken to, to both campaigns nobody really knows nobody really I, the Cunningham folks are confident that it did not cost him the race that he would have lost the race regardless uh, they point to uh, Donald President Donald Trump's victory over Joe Biden the size of that victory um, as an indication that they they would have come up short uh, that they wouldn't have been able to flip as enough votes uh, between the the, Bi- the Trump Biden race um, to win the the tillis folks, are somewhat split. I think they think it helped them a great deal. Um, but they also point to things like door knocking. Um, they were doing a lot more grassroots work than the, than the Democrats were doing because of COVID. Um, Democrats really scaled back on a lot of that stuff. And um, the Republicans didn't scale back quite as much. And they believe that it was some of their on-the-ground operations that really helped them pull out that win the polling uh, seemed to get a lot tighter uh, down the stretch of the race, especially uh, less the top line number and more, you just saw a huge erosion in Cunningham's favorability, Cunningham's trustworthiness, things like that. So uh, it's it's the great unanswerable question. I, I think uh, one thing uh, probably comforts Cunningham is that Democrats won both races in Georgia to, to take the election. Uh, had that been a split, Republicans would have held the the Senate 51, 49. And I think uh, the vitriol and the condemnation of Cunningham would be far, far greater if, uh, if it it looked like his race cost them uh, Democrats control of the Senate.
0: And go back to uh, Senator Tillis for a minute. So was he actively out campaigning prior to getting COVID?
1: Um, He was holding events, uh, you know, but you know, Often very, very small events uh, with masks if he was indoors. Uh, he, he certainly held events outdoors, um, smaller events uh, after, after he was healthy enough. Um, but yeah, it was not the kind of giant campaign rallies that, that Trump was doing um, or, or did a couple of, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, he was meeting with constituents you know, or meeting with potential voters um, in small groups.
0: So did getting COVID slow him down from campaigning afterwards?
1: Um, you're really testing my memory on some of this. Uh, I know. <laughs> I think it did, you know, for a bit. You know, obviously he quarantined uh, in North Carolina. He quarantined. He missed, you know, some action in, in the North, in the Senate, the U.S. Senate. Um, but he was able to, to do some events. I think he did an event with Mike Pence, um, you know, before the election. So was able to get back out there and be much more public shockingly, the guy who got COVID was able to be much more public than, than the candidate who did not get COVID. Because um, although Cunningham appeared at a lot of sort of grassroots events and, and tried to get out there and meet voters, he didn't publicize it. He didn't want the media there necessarily, because he knew all the questions were going to be about, about this. And so, you know, TELUS was able to much more publicly be out there uh, in the last month, or last few weeks of the election.
0: Yeah, last year was such an interesting race, anyways, because COVID like played such a huge factor in what they could or couldn't do. So it'd be interesting to see this on a normal year, like what both things would have done to their campaigns.
1: You know, the Cunningham thing is, is strange in a way because um, you know President Donald Trump was the president. <laughs> you know, Donald Trump yeah. had been accused of numerous numerous extramarital affairs. Uh, that was a huge issue in in the presidential election and, and his first term, and so. You know, so I, I think a lot of Democrats were like, "Well, this is this is not a big deal." You know, it's consenting adults. You know, there's no allegations of um, sexual assault or sexual harassment or, or anything. You know, it's, it certainly is an extramarital affair. But but we've elected lots and lots of politicians who have had extramarital affairs. So I definitely caught some of that from from Democrats. Like, why are you making a big deal about this? Look at who our president is. Things like that. But in a state like North Carolina, I think what i what I told a lot of those is is everyone knew about that with Donald Trump long before he became president. That was sort yeah. of baked into who Donald Trump was. Cal Cunningham did did not have 30 years of people knowing who he was and all of his behavior. This was new information that was that was coming to light. Uh, people had not formed their opinion of Cal Cunningham based on the fact that he had numerous girlfriends and and lived this kind of lavish lifestyle as they had with Trump. Um, and so, you know, I think that's why it played a, a different role in this race than maybe it would have played in, you know, in a, in a presidential race or a race where the the candidates were far we- more well known.
0: So have you caught up on sleep since then?
1: <laughs> it was a crazy week and a crazy month, you know, because it, it led right into the election plus COVID was happening, you know, all over the place. Um, I, I've certainly caught up. It, it's been interesting, uh, you know, Charles Helwig, who is a, a political operative. Um, in Raleigh, and, and a mem- you know, has worked with the Wake County uh, GOP, has gotten a lot of credit for for being the one to push out uh, those text messages. Um, it's been interesting to see sort of the, how it's all fallen. Uh, Helwig, I've spoke to uh, you know numerous times, you know, in, in the year, and he certainly probably does deserve a lot of the credit for getting these text messages out there. I have worked on trying to figure out exactly how the text messages got out there. it's, it's pretty obvious that this woman shared them with someone she knew, a, a friend of hers. that friend eventually shared them with someone else who uh, was tied into Republican politics somehow and, and then that person was able to take them to you know political operatives like like Charles Selwig who were then able to get them out into the media and so I think there's a fascinating story about how, you know, a private text message makes it all the way to, to, to disrupting a Senate race.
0: Um, and what you consider a friend.
1: Yes, yes. I, you know, certainly as as we watch some of the Monica Lewinsky coverage, and you realize that that's, you know, she was confiding in a friend. And that's how the president ended up uh, facing an impeachment trial. Obviously, this woman that was involved with Kyle Cunningham was confiding in a friend and ended up changing the course of a, of a US Senate race. There, there are so many things, you know, threads to pull on. But I think a lot of that's been been litigated, you know, for lack of a better term, a lot of it's gotten yeah. out publicly. And Cunningham um, was in the he was in the, the North Carolina Capitol uh, a few weeks ago for an event for um, Mark Bass night. And so he's he's beginning to, to you know, uh, make some appearances publicly. Um, and we'll see what his future holds. I, I don't think he can run for elected office again, but but maybe he can. Uh, there have been a lot of second acts in, in politics, so perhaps uh, Cal Cunningham has one left in him too. It'd
0: be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously he he would have to discuss his family situation, you know, pretty quickly. But, I, you know, people are forgiving. Mark Sanford, uh, after his adventures as the South Carolina governor uh, got reelected or, or got elected to Congress, we, we mentioned Donald Trump. I mean, uh, you know, Charlie Crist in Florida has had some issues and, and got back into elected life. On the local level, there's countless examples, you know, all across the country. And so, you know, yeah. p- people are pretty forgiving, but I, I don't know where Cal Cunningham goes from here. Obviously, Senator Tillis is back in the Senate and, and isn't up for a re-election for, for five more years now, six more years. So I have a feeling at least this part of the story is over.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> and I feel like I should remind everyone that you were our congressional reporter and have just recently decided to move back down to Raleigh to join us for as editor of NC Insider. So you're getting ready to make that move and hang out with us in the Capitol.
1: Yeah, I covered the, yeah, I mean, the Senate race was pretty much my primary responsibility and have have already dove in. But what, I think the amazing thing you asked if I've slept, the amazing thing is that 2020 never ended. President Trump was still contesting the election results. And, you know, before the the Senate, control of the Senate was even decided and that wasn't decided until January, uh, Mark Walker jumped into the 2022 race. And so before the Senate- control was even determined. Mark Walker was in, uh, Democrat Jeff Jackson was in and, and we were often running on 2022, which we are, we are often running on 2022, but it, it, you know, 2020 just sort of bled right into the 2022 race. Yeah.
0: I don't think, I don't think there's an end to 2020. <laughs> we're just going to live that for a while.
1: We, I, I, we will probably be talking about 2020 in 2024 as well. Um, yeah. And then maybe, maybe by 2026, the 2020 election will will be all over. It's, it's been an eventful year. I was in the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol on, on January 6th and to deal with a lot of that. So I, I, I thought you died that day. <laughs> I, I was perfectly fine. I, I just misplaced my phone or left my phone. I didn't misplace it. I, I left my phone in all the commotion and couldn't get in touch with people. But it has been, needless to say, it's been a very, very eventful uh, year or so. In uh, North Carolina politics and U.S. politics, and I've been lucky or unlucky enough to be right in the middle of a lot of it.
0: Well, we'll try to keep it just as exciting down here, uh, but less dangerously exciting, maybe.
1: That sounds good. That sounds good. There's all there, there'll always be something to write about. I, I I figure.
0: Oh, for sure. Well, I appreciate you joining us today and reminding us of this special day in history uh, for the News and Observer. I'm Danielle Battaglia with Brian Murphy. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.